So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. This week we're going to look over our excellent victory to Wasps, look forward to our match against Saracens next weekend and give a roundup of general Falcons and rugby news. As always, you can find us on social media. Yep, so uh, on Facebook, just simply type in Falcon Falcons and you'll see our smiley picture. And on Twitter, it's simply just at Falcon Falcons. And again, it's the same thing. And also, if you'd like to send us a direct email, it's falconfalcons at mail.com. So there's nowhere else to start, really, is there? What a finish. What a finale. Thought we'd thrown it away at the last, but instead we come back and win it. I think we're the deserving team. And from start to finish, um, I think we're, we're worth the four points. Yeah, I mean, we were absolutely worthy, deserving winners. I don't get too excited or go over the top when I do say I think it genuinely was a really famous win. I mean, we hadn't been wasps at home for 10 years for a start, but it's, the, of course, the, the circumstances and the nature of the win playing essentially half a game down to with 14 men. Um, and they, they were brilliant. Only a couple of slight criticisms. But apart from that, generally, we're really, really good. Defence are really solid. And we talked about last week about how, how we're going to deal with free-scoring wasps, and they dealt with them, certainly. I mean, to only get them down to 14 points, given the circumstances, was absolutely terrific. You know, even when they did go ahead, we never, you never thought that we're out of this. Um, you, you know, we know we have that really good attitude. We know we have that never say die kind of spirit going through our squad, and and obviously that that showed at the end. And it was absolutely brilliant, and it was so good to see Kingston Park just the roof. Well, the roof, what roofs are, absolutely fly off at the end when Chick put his finger up in the air and crashed down over the line for, for the winner. Of course, a little bit tense at the end when we didn't collect the kickoff, but we all knew it was in the bag. It was going to be fine. But what a finish and what a win. And, and as I say, genuinely a famous result. Yeah, before we go into the detail of the match, um, last week's episode, we mentioned how Wasp had done an absolute number on Bristol and we, we were a bit apprehensive about the week. And you've got to remember that that was largely the same Wasps team that did that performance against Bristol. And even if we had lost, I think we could have held our heads high and said, very good performance, but to come away with the four points against that Wasps team, I think, was absolutely excellent and testament to all involved. Yeah, um, I mean, straight away, you you thought that, you know, we're in this game, we're actually on top, and in the first 20 minutes especially, I mean, Ferns got his tribe pretty early on, it was actually properly given one this time. They, they couldn't find their, they probably tried their best, they couldn't find a way to disallow that one. But we were well on top, and I think one of the criticisms is, we had a couple of chances to extend the lead where Schroeder unfortunately knocked on at the base of Ruck two metres out. And I thought it was pretty disappointing he pushed out uh, when we had that five metre line out drive, uh, pushed out a metre out, wasn't it? Um, that wasn't particularly great. But the worry was there. And of course, we had, the, we had the wind. We had a really, really strong wind advantage in the first half. And I was a bit worried at halftime that we had dominated the first part of the first half. We had the wind. We were playing well, but we're only eight points ahead. And that was kind of a worry. As it turned out, you know, it's fine. But it was straight away from the off. You could tell, you know, we're at this year and it's going to be a really good match. And I think what kind of summed it up for me was at the start of the kickoff, well, about two minutes before the kickoff, a few Wasps fans next to me were saying, oh, I think it's going to be really close. I really just cannot tell which way this is going to go. It's going to be really tight. And I was thinking, oh, you know, interesting to say when you just obviously stuffed Bristol the week before. But, you know, let's see what happens. You mentioned the wind. Um, I think Hayden would... We'll try and use that as an excuse for a couple of missed kicks. They probably completely shanked them. They weren't they weren't wind dependent, but I think that's pretty much the only criticism I could throw at him. I think he, for the seventy odd minutes he played, I think he was absolutely phenomenal in open play and um, kicking out of hand. I think he was very good, and also the times he did connect with his kicks, they're reasonably good. So yeah, I think 
I give him a, an eight out of ten. You never get a ten out of ten. I think he lost his point just because of the, the couple of kicks off the ground that he, he shanked. Um, but it has to be said that Imaga missed a, a sitter or two as well, didn't he? And this drop goal attempt uh, was probably best not talked about in the bar afterwards. But we, we went in at half-time 8-0, which I think was actually, um, although we, we didn't score as many as we'd have liked, I think to have nil on the score sheet was quite significant. Wasps had a try disallowed, and I think that Will Welch has to be given credit for not just his performance around the park, but also... As a captain, I think he's... You could argue it's not nice to see, but um, I think the captain can get away with it to a certain extent. He, he's constantly talking to the referee, and when Wasps scored their try, even during the mall itself, he was trying to tell the referee, look, they've fouled play here by the, the offside. And he, he kept talking to the referee, kept talking to the referee, uh, all the way back to the 22 when the kick was about to hit. And then they went to the video ref, and the video ref disallowed the try. Whether or not um, I like video refs getting, getting all stuck in a couple of phases, previously, I don't... I don't like it, but if it's going to happen, then you need a captain on the pitch that's going to play that game. And I think he, on the pitch, he uh, he certainly showed why why he was captain on the day. Yeah, I think with Welsh, it was the best performance I'd seen him for for quite a while. And I think in some ways, he's almost like a new signing for us. I mean, he's become a really, really good asset. I thought he was phenomenal at the breakdown. And as you say, I thought his general kind of captaincy, especially in not easy circumstances, of course, down to 40 men for nearly half the match. Yeah, I thought he's brilliant. And I think he's got to be up there as potential sort of man of the match yesterday. Um, was brilliant from, from start to finish. But yeah, I think uh, just the sort of, not just him, I mean, the few as well. I think Van der Vaart was exceptional as well. Ferns, again, absolutely superb. You're right about Hayden Wood. The only other criticism was you know, the couple of poor kicks, but generally his fly half play was really, really good. And I think he's going to be a really good prospect. Radwan had his quietest game, but I think that's because simply he was just marked, Wasp did very, very well to sort of mark him out the match, really. But I think someone who did really well in his debut was, was Earl, actually. I think he sh- he showed exactly why we signed him and that he can offer something very different to what our current wingers are. For his excellent defence, I thought when Wasp did try to sort of kick it long, uh, he was really good at kind of getting on top of that taking the sting out of it, making a few yards, and even showed his pace as well, showed his strength, showed that he's good with the high ball as well. Um, so he was a real asset and made a really, really impressive debut. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could go on, really. I think not a single player sort of did play badly yesterday. I think that showed in kind of the spirit of, and the great result. Yep. Um, the second half started and uh, they, they got the try relatively early in the second half. And then there's the instant that we've... We've, we've got to talk about... It's one of these ones where I think by the letter of the law, probably it was a red card. He was deliberately slapping him in the, the head and his finger went in his eye. It was obviously not a deliberate finger in the eye. It was a finger in the eye when he was deliberately slapping him on the head. But I think what's got to be drawn attention to is the, the reason that Penny was slapping Gopeth on the head. And that's because Gopeth was deliberately holding Penny in a rug. And Gopeth's off his feet. He's out of the game. And as far as I'm concerned, it's a professional foul. And you see it all the time. Um, the end of last season, Mike Brown ended up with a suspension for something not dissimilar in the fact that he was being held onto by a player on the ground. And when you're on the ground, you're out in the game. And it just seems that if I remember going to the, the Falcons at Kingston Park before the TV cameras everywhere. And if that sort of behaviour was going on, then yeah, archers or whoever it was, they would just thwacked someone and people didn't do it. And the self-policing has been driven out of the game by the video ref. But now you get deliberate acts of foul play, which just go unpunished. And I think there should almost be a a statutory yellow card for anybody that's off their feet like that on the ground and holding on to players, stop them getting back. Because it's just professional cynical play. And the referees don't penalise it. And there's absolutely nothing as a as a player you can do to get someone off you without using violent conduct. Yeah, well, I think Richard's alluded to that, didn't he, in terms of his post-match comments where he says, well, yes, by letter of law, I think pretty much 
echoing kind of what you said there. Yes, there is hand on face and, you know, the, the rules are the rules for that. But you got to look at what Gopov was doing and he was holding on to Penny. For, he knew exactly what he was doing, you know, prof- essentially a professional foul, holding on to him for several seconds, not letting Penny get away. And, it, you know, it's it's brings it's gamesmanship, isn't it? It's professional sport. He knows what he's doing. Obviously, Gopov has been here for a very long time. But... I don't know, it's sad to see because obviously we've got a lot of respect for Gopal for the great things he did for, for the club for all those years. And it's just sad to kind of see that essentially getting Penny sent off. Of course, Penny didn't help himself by any stretch, but it's not nice to see. But I think the fairest outcome of that is if Penny was going to get red card, then why didn't Gopal get yellow as well? Because, I mean, quite clearly he was infringing, arguably in, a, in terms of a yellow card offence. I mean, yes, you can still have because our infringement was was more, you could argue, then it should still be their penalty. But I think there is definitely an argument for Vagopov to have been sin-binned after that. Yeah, they, they don't go back and uh, give yellow cards for professional fouls. They give yellow cards for foul play, which might sound like semantics, but foul play is when you do something dangerous or what have you. As a professional foul is just killing the ball. And if the video ref sees that when he's looking at something else, he won't, he won't refer it. But... Um, I don't have any um, hard feelings against Gopal. He's a professional player doing his job and he knows he's going to get away with it. So he did it. I, I, it just annoys me that you see it happening all the time and there seems to be no effective policing of it by the by the refereeing teams. That It's it's nothing new and it's coming to the game more and more and more and there's very little you can actually do about it as a player other than hitting somebody to get them off you. And it's just one of these things. Anyway, we um, also need to talk about the fact that I don't think Penny might have helped himself when he goes to the disciplinary hearing given the fact that as he was getting sent off, he told the ref, you've got to be having a laugh. We may have echoed his sentiments at home and whatever when we've watched the highlights back, but it's not the wisest thing to say as you get marched off the pitch. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if you get sort of, I don't know, two weeks for an eye gouge, 10 weeks for talking back to the ref or something. Uh, but actually, if you hear, you know, in the ref's earpiece on the, the video highlights, they do say oh, something about, oh, not the spirit of game or something. So maybe that's kind of something they add to the offences list. I, I don't know. I mean, you, you've got to... You've got to kind of give Penny the benefit of the doubt there, don't you, Bam? You know, who knows what they'll do. I guess we'll just have to see what happens with that. I do want, they probably won't, but I do wonder if the other grounds can appeal uh, a several-week ban. I mean, probably not, but you kind of feel that it's just a bit unjust, really. I mean, thankfully, of course, we got away with it, but it does leave a kind of a bit of a sour taste in the mouth, I suppose, doesn't it? I think that gouging, which is what he's sent off for, he wasn't sent off for violent conduct, carries, I think, a minimum of about 10 or 12 weeks. Um, then he'll probably get good rec- disciplinary record, etc. meaning his offence off, but I think he's probably going to get uh, six six weeks or, or so um, on, the, on the sidelines, unfortunately, which um, is a pain, but hopefully Mike Brown's back and fills in the spot ably. Looking at Penny on the sideline, he was distraught, and he's obviously thinking, probably reconsidering what he did, but... The rest of the the rest of the team didn't let the heads go down. They stuck at it, and um, I wouldn't say we were. There was obviously a bit more space, but I don't think we looked particularly more vulnerable um, as a result of it. There was a bit more heart and mouth moments when the game got a bit broken up. But I think we managed fourteen men uh, reasonably well. It has to be said that Wasps ended up with fourteen themselves for a period, which very easily could have been the rest of the game as well. Um, it's one of those ones where at the start of last year it would have been a red card without a doubt, and then they've kind of erred towards yellows as opposed to to Reds for those um, high tackle offences now. Yeah, so I think, again, when you listen to sort of the, the ref's microphone on the highlights, I think it does possibly start out as a red like all these do. And then they, they say that because Conan's falling, it, it obviously is mitigation and then becomes a yellow, which 
I don't know. I think it's, at the very best, that's 50-50. Um, Con- yes, Colin is slightly falling, but not by much. And it is it is very much completely mistimed, shoulder-to-head tackle. It's really, really dangerous. It, that could have been really serious. Um, and I think they were fortunate to not necessarily completely the wrong decision to be a yellow, but they were fortunate that it, it was given a yellow. And actually, I think that did really help us because their scrub really suffered, actually, uh, when, when they were only down seven in the forwards. And that probably was a big factor, the fact we could kind of keep the score down. Um, I think one of the things that meant it might have been a yellow as opposed to a red is that, unlike a lot of teams, Falcons don't suddenly get a physio running on and putting someone in a brace position as soon as they get a knock on the head. I think had, had, had they all piled on, really emphasised the fact they got plumbered in the head, then... Uh, it may well have been a different colour, that card. But um, I don't know whether that's maybe Falcons been a bit honest or not quite um, professional enough. But the sort of thing you see in all the other Premiership teams, like Gopeth instantly got the physio on to make sure his eye was OK after Penny touched it by mistake. And um, it's just about drawing the referee's attention to these things. Well, I think Colin like, got up straight away, didn't he? And just sort of plays an ex phase of play. Uh, I mean, I think the crowd trying to did their play their bit really didn't they because uh, every time it came on the screen there were sort of cries of off and off and, and sort of cries of how awful it was and, and obviously everyone was still really angry about the, the penny sending off and we were desperate to uh, even it out uh, so I think the crowd kind of did well playing their part there but unfortunately wasn't quite enough for, for the red card but as I said I think actually though we can, we can, I know we didn't score when they had the 14 men really but I thought in terms of holding our own, we kind of put that 40 men to the, to the advantage. And that in that period, I think them not ha- them having one less forward is actually worse than us having a, a full, well, without a fullback. Because as I say, I think our set piece was really, really strong and might actually get a few penalties and free kicks out of that, which possibly, probably we wouldn't have got otherwise. And maybe that was just kind of one of the main factors that we did manage to hold on in the end. And when you say hold on in the end, um, in the 74th or 75th minute, whenever it was, and when when Tom Cruise ended up going over, you thought, oh, shucks. It was good, good valiant effort, but damn it. <laughs> However, we, we, we didn't let our heads go down. I think um, all of the substitutions played a part in the in the phases that led up to our score once we got the ball back from the kickoff. Yeah, well, I mean, it was uh, not only when it got to 87. Uh, obviously, we did really well to... Go, go down the other pitch and didn't get another penalty to uh, get ahead by by four. Um, and even then, you sort of thought, well, obviously we've made things a bit easier for ourselves. We're going to have to do really, really well with, you know, it seems like each second took about ten seconds. Um, looking at that clock in the uh, in the south stand, but yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I think our sort of hearts managed to sort of sink when they got their second try and a bit unfortunate perhaps we were a bit perhaps Welsh was a little slow with the bounce or whatever but it's really hard and I think that's the only time they actually made their 14 men well the one man advantage count was there was a gap which they didn't manage to get through and in a couple of phases later they did sort of score from it but whilst the crowd sort of felt a bit ugh the players certainly didn't. And obviously, then they came back and probably, I would actually say, the best move of the game, as you say, it was it was a substitute or combining. A really, really good interchange of passes and play, which we don't actually see that much, really. But when it does come off, by God, does it come off? And, you know, once Chick beat Umanga, who I think is the last man that sort of did a despairing dive, you knew this is it, he's in, he's in. And then, of course, they tried their best to... Uh, see if it was a, a, mill, a millimetre forward pass or something, which of course it wasn't. And then absolutely brilliant. And then obviously held on at the end, didn't we, despite our best efforts to not collect the kickoff. You say, of course, it wasn't. Um, there's one camera angle I've replayed a couple of times, which I wouldn't say uh, my answer would be, of course, it wasn't. But 
not going to complain. No, of course it was. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to complain after some of the other refereeing decisions of the afternoon. Certainly, I think we got the rub of the green with that one. And I, I quite liked um, Colin diving in for the Klinsman next to Chick on the ground. I thought that was a nice little touch. You see, see the sheer delight on the players' faces. It was really excellent. And the, there's some little boy who, in the south stand who dive forward, patting all the players on the back because they're right up by the Hordens. It's really nice to see because that's what you remember as a, a child or throughout your whole life, that childhood experience. That's why we all go to sport, just for those moments where, like, as you say, the roof does come off and if you're in the north stand, someone someone throws the hat in the air or something. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's exactly it. That's kind of why we, we go to sport. That's kind of why, why we love it so much. And there's those last minute winner moments and it really was it was just everything you know the the, the joy of obviously what was probably given last minute winner the relief that you know we have held on here and I think it's just almost like an expression of how incredible what we've just sort of seen in front of us I've managed to hold on you know we've got a last minute win against what were a, let's make no mistake a really really good boss team um, and it's just all those emotions come out and it was, it was absolutely amazing and I suppose that again that's kind of what we've missed in the past year or so isn't it these sort of moments and it was you know you, you can't put price on it you can't really put in the words really it was absolutely amazing yeah I think um, Chick getting the, the final try as well doing any disservice when it comes to Eddie Jones and um, I think for the whole game he was phenomenal he made he made the 80 yard break and if he'd had a couple more Weetabix he might have made the full 85 yards the try line but um, I think uh, from start to finish yesterday he, he was probably We've mentioned a few names, but I think he was probably the Mr. Consistent former man of the match in my eyes. Um, one other thing that I'd like to mention, I think Stevenson or somebody else who has been coaching Stevenson has hopefully been listening to the podcast because I thought his defence was a lot more assured yesterday. When they had the ball and they spun it wide, his body positioning was a lot better and he wasn't getting caught on the outside channel, which um, has been the fault I've been picking with him the last couple of weeks. But it's also interesting that no sooner did we upload the podcast on Wednesday or Tuesday, whenever it was last week, that um, we we announced within about an hour of it a signing of Wright from Bath. One of those strange coincidences. I don't think uh, Dino listened to the podcast as soon as it uploaded, then got on the phone to Bath instantly. But um, good minds must think alike. Yeah, well, I think it was kind of it was pretty obvious, wasn't it? This is the area that needs strengthening simply because you know we just lack numbers there at the moment with Burrell and Orlando going to be still out for various reasons for. Uh, still considerable time yet and I think the thing with Wright is he's a big unit as well and it's different to the current to the current centres we have who you know aren't, aren't the biggest in the world just give us another option there which quite simply at the moment we just don't have so I think it's a smart signing it was a necessary signing and during a three month loan obviously we don't know how long Burrell's going to be out we assume Orlando will be back at some point soonish it's just you know when he comes back from the rugby championship and he didn't really play much so I, I can't see why he should be out for too much longer but it is another option which, which we need and of course We've got the, the cup games coming up, so we, we can't just be playing Seamson and Lucock there every week, obviously. Uh, actually, one thing about Lucock is that he actually dislocated his fingers yesterday and they'll put back in and he continued to play for the I think it was almost rest of the match, wasn't it? So, you know, there you go. Um, another one who perhaps does, deserves a mention, but going back to right, I think it's a smart signing and it provides something different that we don't currently have at the moment, and hopefully, it'll, it'll just work out well. Yeah, um, you just mentioned Orlando being on international duty. Also, a couple of other Falcons players were. Um, Carreras made his Argentina debut and, um, by all accounts, did very well for himself in their defeat at the weekend in the Rugby Championship. And then uh, Peterson featured for America against Uruguay in the Rugby World Cup qualifiers. It's amazing they're qualifying already for it. And it just feels like we've only just come out the last one. But, yeah, a couple more years and we're back in it. Yeah, um, nice to see sort of 
Balkans or around the world, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Really. I'm quite excited to see Carreras back. I mean, uh, you know, as, as we've said, we're well stocked in, in the wingers position, but I think the competition between him and Stevens would be very interesting because obviously, in some ways, quite sort of similar. Don't know how long it'll take for Carreras to start sort of featuring the squad again, but quite excited to see him come back. And I think, fingers crossed, Peterson comes back unscathed, really. I think the, they've got the second leg. Um, so they narrowly beat Uruguay um, in the first leg and then they've got the second leg to come in Montevideo which I presume is, is next week and yeah I mean good, good luck to, good luck to him and uh, hopefully be another falcon at a World Cup in a couple of years time Last round the rugby world also our opponents next week Saracens have had some quite big news going on just before their match yesterday they announced a, a £30 million takeover consortium headed by all sorts of rich and famous people they've got a team that's going to have Maggie Alfonsi from England in it um, Nigel Ray's daughter is going to retain um, some executive role within the club. But it's one of these ones where you think, is Nigel Ray just retiring now? Is there more to it than this? What's actually going on? And how much of a threat is it to the other clubs in the league? Saracens have even more money. Um, well, I think Ray, even though he's stepping down as sort of the main man, I think maybe because he's he sort of had his reputation a bit tainted, perhaps. But he's still, I think, to all intents and purposes, going to have quite a considerable stake in, in the day-to-day running of the club. Yes, he's only a minority shareholder now, but he's still going to be there day-to-day. Um, I think it's just to kind of add a different face to the club and maybe it's easier for the authorities to see that they're getting finance from elsewhere rather than him, considering obviously all the, the history that's gone on there recently. Um, it's just Saracens being Saracens, isn't it, really? Um, and they've obviously thought about this. They've found a way. These are people who are, have always been sort of associated with the club. I mean, I think pinar has been associated with the club for, for years now, one way or another. And they've obviously just come to an agreement where we've got the money, but we need to find a way to kind of get the money back into the club um, in similar similar amounts to what it was but perhaps a more sort of open and probably legit way of doing it and I think this is the way they've come up with but as I say I think just Saracens being Saracens and they've got the money and they just found a way to use it really haven't they indeed they have interesting to see if anything changes I guess blurb more money what can they actually spend it on they're probably not allowed to spend it on salaries so what can they spend it on the ground. Well, I think apparently, yeah, I think the ground, um, they want to build an actual proper stand. And those who have been to Saracen's ground, uh, I mean, personally, I would say it's the worst sports ground I've ever been to in anything. Um, and then they do actually genuinely need, believe it or not, permanent stands, which is bizarre considering the, the state, the stature of the club. But yeah, so I think maybe that's a way for them to pump money as a, into the club by saying, oh, yes, we're going to use it to redevelop the ground. And that, to all intents and purposes, look, looks fine. So, uh, They've obviously thought this one through, but yeah, I think a lot of the money is going to go to, towards making their ground a bit better. And by God, does it need to get quite a bit better? But yeah, I mean, that kind of sets things up for nicely for next weekend, doesn't it? So n- next week coming up, Saracens didn't look brilliant and exciting like we, they have in the past when they played against Leicester this weekend. It was very much a slugfest with penalties back and forth and then the late penalty try to Leicester. I think that the way that our pack's playing... Um, I think that we can certainly match them in a in an upfront battle, and then it's a case of in the backs who's going to come out on top. Yeah, I mean, haven't we been really, really optimistic? Um, the thing with Falcons is certainly at the moment, from what we've seen this season, including preseason friendlies, is we're pretty consistent. You know what we're going to get. We may not score lots of points, but we're going to be really organised in defence. We will score tries, and we're going to be really hard to beat. Saracen so far this season, not so sure because on one hand they had a really good win against Bristol, though how good. Bristol being recently perhaps not the, the top four, but nevertheless, uh, for an opening day win, it's pretty good stuff. But then you have a pretty lackluster performance yesterday away to 
to be fair, a good Leicester side. But it's hard to judge at the moment sort of how good Saracens are. I mean, obviously they're going to be good and I'm sure they'll be up there at the end of the season. But I think we can go down there really, really optimistic. Whether we'll win, I don't know. I'm, I'm giving up gym predictions now, really. But um, I think we're going to make a really good account of ourselves. And it, it's pretty close to call, actually. And that's quite a good thing to say, going away to Saracens. On a general point this season, um, we've now played two home games and the attendances haven't been where they were before COVID. There's no two ways about it. You would have expected a couple more thousand in there yesterday. We only got five and a half thousand. Do you think there's something amiss or a reason for the low attendances? Um, what, what, what's, your, what's your thoughts on that? I think it's maybe a combination of a few factors. Um, I think... I suppose maybe people are some are still a bit wary with, with COVID and that's kind of kept some of the, the older supporters away. Maybe that that's a little factor. But I think there's other factors. And I think maybe ticket prices, I know they have gone up. I mean, obviously you understand the club needs to make its money back after obviously a difficult time. But at the end of the day, that, that does affect people. I also think a major consideration is the fact they are playing three o'clock on a Saturday, which is very awkward for a lot of people because, for example, someone like myself who plays amateur rugby locally, it means that if I have a season ticket, I can't go and play for my local club. Now, I've taken the decision to obviously try and balance it in which I'll go to Falcons home games, but then if they play away, then I'll play for my local club. But a lot of people, you know, fair enough to them, that's perfectly reasonable, decide, no, I want to play for my local club every week. So they will, and they may have gone to a Falcons game on a Sunday or Friday, and obviously they can't if it's three o'clock kickoff. And that doesn't affect, obviously, like people sort of our age, you know, sort of late 20s, early 30s, but, you know, it affects parents who maybe, you know, want, who, who go watch their, their sons or whatever, or daughters play instead of uh, going to watch the Falcons. And so, you know, but when you kind of total all those things up, it does add up. And I think maybe it's sort of a combination of all those factors. And it's just, we'll see what happens this season. I think also quite a few people who may... I don't know what's best to call them, casual supporters. I don't know what's the best way to call them. Who may occasionally go to a match or go to one or two matches a season. Maybe they don't kind of realise just how good we've become. And I think maybe if we, they did know sort of what how good we are, and, and in fact, we actually are a good, really good team now, they, they would come. So I think maybe it's a combination of all those factors at the moment means that we're seeing, unfortunately, lower crowds and I hope that over the course of the season that that does go up yeah I remember over the years we've played at various times we've had later kickoffs we've had Sunday matches we've had Friday night ones but I do think that um, three o'clock on a Saturday isn't conducive to people who have sport in their family whether it's even just watching football if you watch football or your Newcastle United season ticket holder suddenly you get half the games knocked out or if you like you say if you play sport um, that's when sport is played now I do think that when you're a club like Falcons where we we don't have a sellout every week. You do actually need to make considerations for the fans and the best time for them to go to the games. There's pros and cons of all of them, but I, I certainly am um, not sure that three o'clock on Saturday afternoons the best of the balance. I'm not sure whether there's certain rules in the Premiership about when you're allowed to play games, but they have games on a Friday and a Sunday anyway for TV. So I don't see why there could just not be a, a non-televised game on a Friday or a Sunday or even a later kickoff. It's one of these ones where it's not just it's not just the people that don't attend who play sport, it's the sons and daughters of those next generation of fans who don't go along with their, their parents who, who are missing out. And I think for the long-term benefit of the club, it's something that needs to be really seriously considered whether 
three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon is the best time for a kickoff. Also, um, Falcons are actually on the TV this weekend. So uh, our away game to Saracens is on BT Sport and it's a three o'clock kickoff on the Saturday. Um, so I don't know, is this our, this is our second televised game of the season? Is it? Well, the, the Quinns game was also televised, wasn't the home game. But it's nice to have one of our away games televised. Uh, I guess maybe because it is against Saracens. But yeah, so I mean, if you can, obviously get that one to watch. I don't know which BT Sport channel it is. I just know it's on BT. But as I say, three o'clock kickoff on the Saturday. Yeah, so hopefully, or I guess once again, it clashes with um, the amateur sport. But um, for everybody who normally attends the games, there's hopefully a possibility of them being able to view it because it is quite annoying at the minute the way that the TV coverage is that you don't have the terrestrial highlights, so that's not great for the children, I I guess, or people that um, don't have various subscription packages, but also um, people who don't necessarily have the internet or um, aren't so computer savvy um, may not realise that the, hi- the highlights and the full matches are released on the Premiership Rugby website, which is um, where I've been catching up with the ones that aren't televised live. So if we just do a roundup of the, the rest of the, the scores this weekend, on Friday night, the West Country Derby, Bristol came from behind and ended up beating Bath 25 points to 20. Um, so that's actually some quite good tries in that game. And I think it goes to show that how good we are when we um, dominated against Bath so much the pre- previous week. Um, then... In the Premiership on Saturday, um, Northampton pipped London Irish 23 points to 21. Leicester beat Saracens 13 points to 12 for that last-minute penalty try. Obviously, as we've reported, we beat Wasps 18 points to 14, and Worcester lost to Gloucester 23 points to 31. As it stands, it's currently half-time, and Sailor drawing 10 all with Exeter Chiefs. The table, I think it's worth uh, I think it's worth looking at the table now. I know that the previous couple of weeks it's not not, not any points at this early in the season, but I think since we're in fourth position, um, we'll give it a rundown. Leicester on top with 14, three wins out of three. Also, uh, three wins out of three are Northampton with 13 points. Harlequins have won two out of two with, on 10 points. And then we've won two out of three on nine. Sale and Worcester both have seven. However, Sale have a game in hand. Wasps and Gloucester are both on six. However, Wasps have a game in hand. Saracens and London Irish are both on five. Saracens with a game in hand. And then uh, you've got Bristol on four, Bath on three, and bottom of the table with only one point is Exeter. So I think if, if you'd have given me that table in reverse order, I would have believed it just as much as seeing it in the order it's in. It's one of these uh, ones where season started off, and I don't think many would have predicted it ending up looking the way it is looking. If we go around the region, Darlington Mountain Park narrowly lost to Coldy, 27 points to 22. Tyndale and Bladen both lost in National League 2 North. In the North Premier, Billingham lost to Otley, but Anik had quite a strong victory against Kirby Lonsdale, 48 points to 3. And then Durham City won whilst Concert and Morpeth were both heavily beaten. Um, in D- Durham Northumberland Division 1, um, uh, Worth noting that Callum Chick's brother, Luke Chick, scored a try in Pontelan's two-point victory over Stockton this weekend. So the Chick household will certainly have been a happy one on Saturday evening. Uh, I think score of the week this week goes to Blythe with a 95 points to five win over Jerovians. Um, and then um, there were uh, the usual high scores as the, you go down the league. I think they get a bit more one-sided, particularly in um Durham Northumberland Division 3. So that brings to the end of this week's episode and I'd like to have a spring on my step. I think I'll have one for the rest of the week. So thank you for listening and it's goodbye from me. Goodbye everyone.